Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas. Entrepreneurs on Fire stokes inspiration and shares strategies to fire up your entrepreneurial journey and create the life you've always dreamed of. Listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire or Success Story wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, my guest is Bill George. He's a former chairman and chief executive officer of Medtronic. He joined Medtronic in 1989 as president and COO. He was chief executive officer from 1991 to 2001 and board chair from 96 to 2002. He's currently a senior fellow at Harvard Business School, where he's taught leadership since 2004. He received his BSIE with high honors from Georgia Tech, his MBA with high distinction from Harvard University, where he was a Baker Scholar, and honorary PhDs from Georgia Tech, Mayo Medical School, University of St. Thomas, Augsburg College, and Bryant University. We spoke about all things leadership. We spoke about one of his favorite topics, True North. What does it mean and why do leaders need to find it? We spoke about stakeholder capitalism, why that's so important. Uh, we spoke about how leaders know when to take a stand on social issues and how they take a stand on social issues. We spoke about authentic leadership. What does it mean? How, how do we define it so it's not just a buzzword? Uh, we spoke about the challenges that emerging leaders are facing, uh, what lessons the new generation and next generation of leaders can learn from the last, and most importantly, some of Bill's most pertinent advice on leadership and effective leadership and leading organizations for emerging leaders. I was the kid that tried too hard to become a leader before he was ready, in part to follow my father's admonition that he wanted me to make up for his failures and to lead a large corporation. Uh, I ran for office seven times in high school and college and lost all seven. And one of the best things that ever happened to me was some seniors at Georgia Tech, my undergraduate alma mater, took me aside and said, Bill, no one's ever going to work with you, much less be led by you, because you're moving so fast to get ahead, you don't take time for other people. And they were absolutely right. I was trying to lead without understanding leadership is all about building relationships. And then in the uh, middle of my career, uh, I was en route to becoming CEO of Honeywell. I was one of the two leading candidates uh, for the job. Uh, and, uh, you know, life was good. My wife, Penny, I've been married for 15, 16 years. We had a son just going to high school, one in junior high. And uh, one day I was driving home and... I looked at myself in the rearview mirror, and what I saw was a miserable person, me. <laughs> and that was because uh, I was almost like faking it to make it. I was trying to pretend like I was the, the, the right person to be CEO and say just the right thing and uh, dress a certain way, even wear cufflinks, which I'd never have worn, <laughs> and trying to impress the board of directors and top management. And it wasn't me. Everyone else can see I was inauthentic. Uh, but, but except yours truly. So I wanted to go home and talk to my wife that night. She said, Bill, I've been trying to tell you this for a year. You just refused to listen. So uh, I went to wives my always, Wives always know. <laughs> they, they always know. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think I was trying too hard to grab for that brass ring that my father wanted me to get. And uh, I went to my men's group the next day, and they said, well, you turned Medtronic down for a job three times. Why'd you do it? And I said, well, you can see the coming out, Scott. Uh, I always thought he's going to run a large company. It's kind of a mid-sized company. Uh, and sometimes I didn't fully perceive how mid-sized companies can become quite large because uh, at the time we were like 750 million sales. Now I think the company's like 32 billion. So it's grown up a lot. But more importantly, 
uh, I really uh, had to face myself and to say, what did I want? Leadership is not about a title. It's about who you're working with and what's the purpose. And at Medtronic, I found the right environment for me where we had the mission that our founder created of restoring people to full life and health, very value-centered organization. And uh, so I fit right in, and it was the best 13 years of my uh, professional career. And everything that's happened the last 20 years in writing and teaching at Harvard Business School has followed from that. How many people do you think don't have that self-awareness and push themselves into a career that they're not fulfilled or happy with? That, that version of you that was going to go into Honeywell um, where you were sort of not acting as yourself, not acting as your true self to try and get this role. Do you feel like that's at an executive level? Do you feel like that's the significant portion of CEOs, C-suite? Could that lead to depression, anxiety, frustration in jobs? Is that something that's sort it of sure, rampant? It sure has. Historically, that was clearly the case in the 90s when I was CEO and more recently. Uh, I think it's changing now. The CEOs we see in our new CEO program that I lead at Harvard Business School uh, are much more self-aware. Uh, and so you, you see in my book, uh, Satya Nadella talks about the importance of such self-awareness and empathy and qualities like that. And I think the younger leaders today realize that they have to lead with their hearts as well as their head. It's not enough to be the smartest guy in the room, but you really have to have qualities like passion for your business which I didn't have at Honeywell, the compassion for the customers you're serving, empathy for your employees, and maybe most of all, the courage to make bold decisions. And I think a lot of leaders, Scott, are too concerned about external, what I call external adulation, money, fame, and power. Uh, you know, the prestige that comes with having a lot of money, a big house, uh, uh, getting written up in the newspaper, uh, having power of a lot of people, measuring it up by how many people you have. Those things really don't matter. Uh, at all. And they certainly aren't lasting. Uh, what really matters is, are you doing something you really love? And so I'm encouraging all the leaders I worked with and mentor, you, you got to do something you love or better go quit and sit out on the beach and decide what it is you want to do. <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's sort of the theme of, uh, of some of the work that you've put out. So the concept of True North, I want you to describe that concept. And I think that that's that would be the epitome of finding your purpose and your calling in a professional and personal sense, correct? Is that what True North means? Absolutely. True North is who you are at the deep, at your deepest level. It's the uh, pr uh, beliefs that you have, that you're raised with, that you have the values that you live by, the principles you lead by, and where you find real joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in your life. Again, it's not about the external uh, motivations like money, fame, and power. Those things will come along, by the way, but you have to find the right place uh, for you, which we call your sweet spot, where you are highly motivated by mission and values. And see, that wasn't true at Honeywell. The mission was making money in those days. It was some time ago, 30 years ago. But, uh, you know, and, and you weren't, you were kind of an engineer's company. You really couldn't be yourself. And I think today it's all about being authentic. And that's what younger leader, younger people in your organization, the millennials, which are more than half of your employees, are looking for. They want you to be real. They aren't interested in somebody who's terribly impressive. They're much more interested in someone who cares about them. It's interesting, though, because when a CEO is real and authentic and vulnerable, that's, that's super scary because then it opens up all the flaws in the business and it makes things seem not as 
and and in reality, things probably aren't as great as the CEO would like them to be. So for for a leader, actually, I want to I want to double down on True North first, and then I want to understand how they can best do that while building and and scaling an organization. Um, so first, a leader that's that. So you have somebody who wants to lead an organization, whether or not they're building it from the ground up or They've worked their way up and they're trying to figure out where they want to place themselves and position themselves as a, as a manager or an executive VP, C-suite director, whatever. Um, how, how do you discover your true north? How did you discover your true north outside the fact that your your wife called you out on being miserable and not being happy and not being in the right spot? How can a leader effectively figure out and define their true north so that they can make more uh, meaningful career decisions? Well, I think you have to spend a lot of time developing your self-awareness. It starts with understanding your life story, who you are, where you come from. Those are your roots. So it's like a, a giant tree is, is nourished by its roots, your, your values and the principles that you and beliefs you have. But beyond that, then you've got to deal with the difficult times. As we, you started out asking a question, difficult time. Well, th those define you much more than the good times. The good times, you tend to think you're better than you are. And uh, it's when everything gets stripped away that you realize who you are. You look yourself in the mirror. And I strongly advocate two practices for everyone, uh, including all the CEOs we work with, from MBAs to CEOs. And that's one, take 20 minutes a day for some form of introspection. I, I'm a meditator. I've been meditating for 45 years. Uh, it could be some form of mindfulness. It could just be going for a long walk, taking a jog, something you kind of clear the mind, put all the electronics away and, and think about how did I show up today? Was I the kind of leader I wanted to be? I was excited about what I was doing. I feel fulfilled. What? Uh, and those are really important questions to ask yourself every day. That's the first one uh, practice I recommend people add. The second one is get honest feedback. Have people around you that tell you what you don't want to hear, that'll tell you the truth or how you're coming off. I had a lot of people around me in Medtronic who would walk in my office and say, Bill, uh, you didn't handle that meeting well today. A lot of people are upset. You know, you need people around that tell you the truth. And I think 360 feedback, uh, particularly from your subordinates and your peers, is the most valuable thing you can get. And every class I teach at uh, HBS, so I get feedback. Some of it's kind of painful, but that <laughs> feedback is how you learn. Otherwise, you can be deluding yourself about how well you're doing. That's the honest uh, feedback. And 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 then let's so then to follow up on that, you figured out who you are as an individual. You have a feedback loop in place. Um, you have time set aside for self-awareness, introspection. So you've now slotted yourself into an organization in a spot where you want to be with a team uh, that you want to work with. But that whole concept of authentic leadership and uh, even like radical candor and um, transparency for a leader, that's usually probably a very scary thought. Um, so how do you effectively action that in an organization uh, without jeopardizing the organization? Well, I, I think that's a, a very good question because it is scary. And I know for a long time, I try to be the guy that had all the answers. And, uh, you know, then you're not really using the people you work with. Uh, I think it's extremely important, Scott, for leaders to admit their mistakes. Because if you don't admit your mistake, then the people working for you can't admit theirs. And that's a form of vulnerability. And or to say, I need your help. I don't know how to solve this problem. Will you help me? 
And people invariably will help you if you're willing to admit that. But if you think you act like you have the answers when everyone knows you don't, you're going to be in trouble. So I think that opening up. Now, you just don't go to a town hall with 10,000 people and, uh, you know, and totally do that. But you can be very comfortable with people you're closest to. And you need to know who those people are. And that's why it's so important that people have around you both in your key leadership roles, but also people who will mentor and guide and, and support you. Yeah. And, and what has, and when you look at this, the average leader and what they're dealing with in organizations, um, let's, let's look at what a leader would have to deal with 30 years ago versus what they're dealing with now. So what is the difference in how you lead an organization? What are the norms and what, what is the sort of the status quo of what leadership is? Um, and then also, why are some of the principles that are true North principles timeless? So what has changed? What has stayed the same? And how did these how did these principles effectively uh, these will be applicable in right now and also in you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now? Well, 20 years ago, we were admiring the command and control style, the all powerful white American male, if I may say, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and Jack Welch is the epitome of that. But there are dozens of others who tried to emulate that style and uh, moving away from that now played it up. Way. And uh, I think everything has changed because today uh, the people you work with have changed dramatically. They want you to be real. They don't want you to be an image. They don't want you to be some person in the corner office uh, driving a, you know, <laughs> a Porsche. You know, yeah. they want to know who you are and what are the challenges you face and who you are. You need leaders today you need to be out with their employees, not sitting in looking at statistics, sitting in their offices or having meetings in their conference rooms. They need to be out with their people. And employees today want to know, is this person for real? Can I trust this person? And can I, am I willing to give everything I've got to this organization? Because if I don't trust the leader, I won't do it. And so that's the big change. That's a huge change. And the reason I wrote the book uh, for emerging leaders is I really feel like we need to have this generational change from the... Uh, from the baby boomers, if you will, to the Gen Xers and the millennials and eventually the Gen Zs to take over leadership of our organization because they grew up in this. They understand. The other thing I would say, Scott, there's been an enormous change in the expectations of our leaders. In the old days, you could just kind of put your head down, do the job, delegate out all the work and make the numbers, make your quarterly numbers, stock markets, please, and everything's fine. That's not true today. We're looking for leaders to have a position on public issues to represent their employees in public. Uh, when George Floyd was murdered here in Minneapolis, uh, any CEO in this town that not only had to speak out, but beyond that, needed a, a real plan to recognize the flaws in the organization relative to diverse people and how they weren't being treated properly and getting the opportunities. And that's what people expected. And frankly, the CEOs in this town stepped up, but that's a big change uh, to know where you stand on things. And your employees want to see that you're real and you're out there. And and Minneapolis was basically ground zero for one of the, the, the most topical social issues in the past two years. And obviously, you, you had proximity to that and you had CEOs that had proximity to that. But when you deal with something like that as a CEO, there's no playbook. You didn't learn. You didn't even learn about this. I, I mean, probably before in HBS. Maybe now there's there's more education and and understanding about how to react and and how to do things differently. But outside of 
just improving your organization and improving. A- I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. DE and I, within an organization, how, do, how does a leader react? How does a leader take a stand? When should a leader take a stand? Well, I think anything that relates to your mission and values. I think every corporation has to be clear about its mission or its purpose, same thing, and what its values. And if it violates that, uh, and say you value... Uh, diverse people. And if it violates that, you better step into it. Uh, The the real backstory of Bob Chapik uh, at Disney is unlike Bob Iger, he didn't represent his employees. And then he shifted position in midterm and got himself in a political maelstrom with the governor of Florida. But the problem was he didn't step out and, and take a stand on things. So leaders today are doing that, uh, not just because it's expected, but because they're being chosen because they care about these issues. And that's really important. But I think you can't speak out on everything. So you need to concentrate on issues that are really important to your organization, uh, to its mission and its values. And that's 
what it comes down to. So if that's the only grounding you have there, like you said, Scott, there's no crisis playbook for these things. There's no COVID crisis playbook mm -hmm. that existed three years ago. There was no playbook for, you know, a black man being murdered by a policeman and with a, vi a video that goes viral around the world. There's no playbook for this. So that's why you have to know how to step up and you have to be have experience of having led through crises. Because if you haven't today, you're not going to be ready when the big crisis comes along. And and so something as close to home as George Floyd, um, it makes a lot of sense for somebody to take a stand on. Uh, but when you look at other topical global events like Ukraine, for example, well, you can't necessarily make a ton of changes within your organization that are, are going to be directly tied to what's going on in Ukraine. So should, for example, uh, uh, something like that, should a CEO take a, a social stance on that, even if they don't have international, uh, like, you know, international reach? Is that something that's, I guess, would like hit that threshold for a CEO speaks out? Or does that start to seem like a distraction to the core business? Both. <laughs> I think they've been forced to. Uh, the works coming out of Yale is kind of calling people out, but I think, you know, and they're, they're, they're outstanding companies like Cargill in this community, Johnson Johnson, we may have the greatest respect, are staying in Russia. Many hundreds of companies like Goldman Sachs, who are served on the board, are pulling out. Uh, but I think each company has to make its own decision, then say why. J&J uh, &J would say, you know, our credo calls for us to provide life-saving drugs to people, and we can't pull those out. But yeah, I think people had to take a stand, have to take a stand on that. Now, a trickier one is China, uh, because, uh, you know, you can easily give up your business in Russia uh, where it's going, but it's pretty hard to give up the Chinese marketplace. This is much trickier. And the Chinese government's been so punishing of anyone who speaks out. Look what happened to Jack Ma, who I featured in a previous book, a CEO, founder and CEO of Alibaba, former CEO fantastic leader, you know, and he's been more or less isolated and disappeared for weeks, months at a time. It's a he was scary. very, he was very outspoken. And, and, and he got to the point where he was almost too outspoken. And that's what I, I guess that spooked him a little bit. Well, Morton spooked him, I think yeah. he got uh, taken down, so to speak. Uh, not, you know, not physically, but I think he was isolated. But I think, you know, business leaders now in China, are frankly, trying to stay over the stay under the radar. Not many business leaders, American business leaders or European are going to go out and criticize the Chinese Communist Party or President Xi himself. They're trying to stay below that radar screen because it's important. So I think some pragmatism and good judgment comes in here. It's easy to say we disagree with Russia doing it in Ukraine. China, you have to find a way to work with them. It's going to be the world's largest economy. You, you can't just ignore it. That's difficult. Um... For an emerging for an emerging leader, um, because there is no black and white answer to this question, but it's something that uh, somebody who's listening to this podcast may be struggling with. So when when you take a stance on that, how do you how do you navigate that situation? How do you how do you choose to um, I don't know choose to expand your business or not? It's one of the largest economies in the world. Um, what would your advice be to somebody who is building a business start not already international, but somebody who is starting to um, grow overseas. How do you manage that relationship? Well, I can't be respectful. I've lived overseas twice and traveled all over uh, various countries early on establishing our business. 
I think you have to be respectful of the culture going into. I think that's very important. And you're not part of the political system of that country. Mm-hmm. So stay below that, even if you're in a, a neutral country like Switzerland, where I lived, or Belgium, which is the center of Europe. Uh, you're just being informed, but you're, you're not in a position to start telling people what to do. So I think you, you try to do your business and you work out things that are really important to you, like uh, you know, your products getting into the marketplace, uh, acceptance of uh, uh, your respect for your patent, intellectual property and your patents. I think that's essential. That's a big issue in China. So I think you have to have a policy how you're going to handle these things. And uh, again, just uh, in that case, all these countries, I say, keep your head down, do the job and yeah. uh, don't get too engaged in the kind of local political issues that they may have. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, if you want to organize your business, you need a CRM. If you actually want to grow your business, you need HubSpot CRM. With HubSpot, your sales, marketing, customer service, and ops teams will have access to all the same dynamically updated data so they won't get their wires crossed on where a customer is in their journey or how to convert them. Plus, HubSpot CRM is easy to buy and easy to use, so you don't have to waste valuable time onboarding your teams or managing software, and you start seeing value right away. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better in 2023 and get a special offer of 20% off on eligible plans at HubSpot.com slash successpod. Very smart. Um, One thing that I thought was an interesting point in your book um, was a chapter that you actually wrote about leading without a true north and you brought two interesting stories you brought up the story of of mark zuckerberg and then you also brought up a story of elizabeth holmes so um obviously two very different case studies there but speak about speak about leading without true north in the context of maybe less obviously mark zuckerberg and more obviously elizabeth holmes well elizabeth holmes created a a fraudulent company so more obviously I come from the medical field. A finger prick is not going to replace the blood drawn, the clean blood drawn from your arm. that You can do 400 tests. And she never proved it and never tried to prove it and made a lot of statements that simply weren't true. And I was on the board of Mayo at the time, and (coughs) they were not going to even think about that because they knew scientifically it wasn't going to work. So, But she got a lot of adulation. And she became a superstar when wanted to be successful. I feel sorry for her because she's now going to jail. But uh, she never was the real deal. Now, Mark Zuckerberg's a different case. He here is a brilliant guy that had incredible breakthrough. I mean, the leading social media site, he really established social media, uh, along with Twitter and others have followed. Uh, but he had 19, he jumped in and uh, really never had a chance to develop himself as a leader. And so at first he had mentors like Don Graham, who was on his board, former owner of the Washington Washington Post. Sheryl Sandberg became his partner. She was terrific, a more mature, older person he could converse with. But now he's kind of abandoned all that and he's become much more of a loner. It's very sad because he's pulling back. Now he's trying to be macho going on Joe Rogan, things like that. This. He's really very much at risk right now. And uh, so I worry for him. And I think he got caught up in how many how many people are on the Facebook platform? 2.2 billion. It all became a numbers game. And he lost sight. It was he creating the kind of organization, the kind of culture, and the kind of sites. And so he lost control of his sites. It grew too fast. Uh, a sad story. And uh, one that was not going to end well. 
What so what is your what is your opinion on all this? Because you mentioned he's going on Joe Rogan. I saw a clip of him doing martial arts the other day. What what is he trying to accomplish with this as a leader? Like how how do we sort of take what he's doing now and look at that as a case study for what you shouldn't evolve into as a leader, which I'm not really sure what it is anymore, to be quite honest. It's it's weird. But what is he what is he trying to accomplish and how do we how do we sort of highlight what you can do to avoid turning into what Mark Zuckerberg's turned into. He was just too focused on numbers because focusing on numbers is not inherently a bad thing. Focusing on business no. success, that KPI is not a bad thing. No, these are about not about numbers at all. This is about charisma. He's trying to be charismatic. This is a huge trap. I see this happening. It's happening to an extent with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos as well. They're getting caught up in this kind of what I, the charisma trap. And and the media loves to play that gives them a lot of uh, a lot of coverage. But this is not where you should be. I mean, trying to be a super alpha male. All three yeah. of these guys probably are not the cool guys at high school. And you, it's a little hard to become cool now. You know, and it seems like that martial arts and all this stuff. Uh, you know, get back to being a human. Get back to being real. To being honest and open. But I sadly I see people get caught up in that. Even Jack Welch got caught up in the last five years. EO trying to be. Uh, the CEO of the century, you know, and you kind of get caught up with your own press. And, you know, as you know, uh, Scott, the media can build you up and take you down pretty yeah. quickly. And so I say to people, be grounded in who you are. Keep your friends from high school and college. Be a real person. I coached soccer for 12 years with a group of young boys growing up from 7 to 19. Well, boy, that keeps you grounded. I can tell you they all came from <laughs> middle class families. One of them was yeah. a homeless kid. You know, you know, I, I learned a lot from their lives and you got to stay grounded. Maybe you work in a soup kitchen or something where you're you don't get caught up in your own uh, Ego, success, basically. Yeah. thinking you're better than other people. This is a real danger. Now, it's interesting because you mentioned there's sort of a, um, a dichotomy between Jack Ma was a great leader, was very outspoken and was shut down. But then all of a sudden, these leaders that maybe were not so outspoken, try to become outspoken. And you praised the fact that Jack Ma was outspoken for a period of time. He's a great leader. But then you also highlighted the fact that people that weren't outspoken are trying to almost artificially uh, become charismatic. So is there a space for a leader to put themselves out there to be charismatic when running a business? Who's built, I guess, the personal brand correctly? Who's done it so that they are still authentic, but they don't? They do put themselves out there. They do build um, a community, a tribe, a following. But it's not cringe. It's not. It's not obtuse. It's. It doesn't seem forced. Well, this will surprise you, but I think Mary Barra has, and uh, CEO of General Motors. So she's one of my former students before she was CEO, and uh, you know she has put it out there and some very very bold premises like. Uh, our vision is zero accidents, zero pollution, zero congestion. And wow, <laughs> that's, of course, mission impossible, but she's working towards that. And she phased out all electric cars. And I know her people that are working on this. It's the real deal. And you know, she here's a woman that started on a production line at General Motors. Had, you know, She's had 40 years there working with people. And so she knows how to help. She understands the lives of frontline people. She's an example of someone. Another one who's done it exceptionally well is, uh, is Chip Berg and Levi Strauss. Now, Levi Strauss has always had a position of speaking out, so Chip does. And it's not about charisma. It's not about his ego. He has none of that involved, but he's taken a clear stand on what he calls gun safety, not gun control, gun safety. 
because it, frankly, my customers, a lot of them are young girls and boys that are scared. They're in schools and mm -hmm. I have to take a stand. I want to take a stand. And he recently took a stand on abortion. He said, this is a business issue. This is not just a, a social issue. It's a business issue. We have to take care of our employees and provide for their needs, for their health care needs. So here's a guy. Another one uh, close to that is Mark Benioff who was taking on the homeless issue in San Francisco. He even proposed a tax for the tech companies to, to pay for helping the homeless in San Francisco. Uh, he got a lot of criticism for that, but hey, to his credit, he's out there. And uh, so I admire people like that. Uh, Mark is more charismatic than, say, Mary or, or, or Chip, but I don't think it's about, he's not trying to be, that's just what he believes. Mm -hmm. So ultimately it's about, you just you just amplify what you actually believe and then you don't you don't play into some some media narrative of of who you should be or you don't try and build this build this yes. cult following exactly okay i got it i love it um Bingo. you don't play into a narrative what you should be you yeah. got to be yourself yeah. and if you should be you know a macho person you know and have 500 million dollar yacht like jeff bezos <laughs> says come on man you know really do you know i i went to alan page who I know well as a friend, I wrote him up in a book because he's such an amazing person. His commitment's not to football, it's to education. And Alan has a foundation. I said, Alan, how many people could get a two-year education, say in Votech, and learn how to be a welder, learn how to be a computer specialist or do computer graphics? Uh, how many people could do that uh, for $500 million? He said about 60,000. <laughs> So maybe we should put our money into these things instead of yachts. Sorry to be a cynic. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. I mean, there is a point. There is a point where, I mean, how much money is, is too much money, right? When you start talking about $500 million yachts, it's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a nice yeah. home. I have a nice home. But yeah. come on, it's got to be one that you really want to live in, not that it becomes a burden. Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about some of the things that you experience at HBS and probably some of the things that have influenced your book and 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 some of the content that you put out into the world. So, what are some of the what are some of the new challenges that leaders are going to be experiencing in the next ten years? Emerging. Well, leaders. they're all coming down to uh, what is the role of business in society and see this has changed dramatically and it was kind of signaled three years ago when the Business Roundtable said it's no longer shareholder primacy, it's, it's stakeholder. Of course, shareholders are a very key stakeholder. But so business today are being looked to by society to solve big problems, whether it's climate change, whether it's racism, uh, you, or it's healthcare, uh, income inequality. Uh, I think it's terrible that we have in the United States a seven dollar and a quarter minimum wage. I don't care you know, if you're working in a small restaurant, that just doesn't fly. People can't live on like that. And we have, we have, for instance, business needs to take a role on this income inequality. And I think the best way to do that is to raise people at the lowest levels uh, to, to understand, take COVID. The frontline workers are what got us through COVID. The rest of us are on Zoom screens, uh, but they got us through COVID. They were risking their lives to stock shelves at Target or be a barista at Starbucks. Uh, or like my son, who's a surgeon at UCSF. He's not doing that from home, I assure you. So I think that's what business is being called upon. It's interesting, uh, Scott, that 10 years ago, business was at the bottom of the animal trust me, the least trusted. Now, of course, that was a big impact of the banking 
uh, collapse and the recession that followed. But now it's the most trusted, which is shocking to me. Why? Why would business be? And I think people, because of the political gridlock we have and the political mm -hmm. conflicts we have, people are looking to business leaders not to take, not to be blue or red, but to take a position to help solve problems. And the business has the resources uh, to get things done. And I think that's terrific. It is terrific. But you know what's actually very frustrating? When you said that, it just made me think of something. Uh, people are looking to businesses to take a stand because they do have the resources and they have the brains and they have the ability to do all these incredible things. But the one position that you see businesses taking more often than not is unfortunately red or blue. It's not It's not something that's going to fix the world. It's businesses that seem to just double down on, on again, a, a trending political narrative, which doesn't really serve anybody. Doesn't really no, and some of them are it. getting into purpose washing, as it's called. Uh, but the business leaders, the CEOs I know, don't want to do that. They're saying, Bill, I want to engage in taking on these some of these difficult problems, mm -hmm. but I don't want to get involved in politics. And I said, well, it's pretty hard not to get uh, drawn into it. But I, they, they're not, I don't, I find most of them pretty center, maybe a little bit right of center because they're yeah. business people, but uh, they don't want to get involved in extreme causes, I can tell you. Uh, they're, they're interested in running their business, but using it to make a difference. So we hear this word woke. Uh, I don't think any business leader that I've ever met could tell you what that word means. You know, uh, <laughs> if they want to work on climate change, is that being woke or is it trying to <laughs> no, solve a no, problem? Just they trying want to, to hire problem. more diverse employees. They want more women and senior executives. That's not being woke. This is just having a better leadership team. And, and what businesses, um, what businesses are doing really good jobs uh, at, at anything? Pick a, pick a topic. Who's leading the way in terms of actually making change at a global scale or even at an organizational scale? Well, I was talking to the CEO of ArcelorMittal, uh, who, uh, you know, he, he, we are talking about climate change because a lot of people are talking about purchasing credits. And obviously the steel business, the world's leading steel producer, throws off a lot of CO2. You know, he's investing $10 billion, that's public information, $10 billion in reducing the impact. It's not going to go to zero, but he's working very hard to get there. Paul Pullman, a Unilever, has worked extremely hard on the whole climate change problem. I think uh, good for him because we're seeing people out there taking clear positions of why it's so important to have sustainable products. And it benefited Unilever tremendously under his uh under his watch. And I mentioned a couple of the others that I think are, are doing a really good job, like like Chip Berg and Mark Benioff. Uh, I, I think it's terrific. Indra Nui took a real stand on nutrition and uh, very challenging running PepsiCo. But uh, hey, she did it and she stuck, stuck with it for 12 and a half years as CEO and it had a significant impact just lowering the amount of uh, sugar and sodium in their products and uh, developing other products that were very healthy. So good for her. Um, and what what do you what do you think a new generation of leaders can learn from the last generation of leaders? Well, they can learn what not to do in many yeah. cases, <laughs> and uh, okay. that's real. That's more important than you think. Uh, learning what not to do, but uh, I think you know I featured in my book a number of role models among the baby boomers. I've been mentioning some of them, but you know people like Satya Nadella. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, there's a person that has incredible wisdom about self-awareness. Now, he is a baby boomer, but anyone can learn from what he's doing. He, he's incredible uh, what he has done in, in turning around Microsoft from the disaster it was under Steve Ballmer. Uh, wow, look what he's done in eight years. So that's an example of, 
a person you can learn from. It's all about self-awareness. It's about having empathy. And as he said, we got to go from know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. And so anyone thinks, oh, we're the smartest people, needs to rethink it. You want to create an organization. I was with uh, one of the largest insurance companies in the world the other day, and they want to create a learning organization. That's what you have to do. We have to constantly be learning, learning about our customers, learning about our clients, learning about our business, learning about how we fit in the role of society if we're going to reach uh, broader markets. And so I think that's what's really key. So you can learn a lot from uh, a number of people. Hubert Jolie just did a fantastic job turning around Best Buy, getting the employees inspired. He calls it human magic. It's kind of a euphemistic term, but uh, that's what he did. He got them really excited, frontline people, and he went out and worked with the frontline people. So I think CEOs need to rethink their role completely in there in their companies, get out of the meetings and get out of their own offices and get out with the people, get out with the customers. I spent well over half my time with employees and customers on the front lines. Just go to the lunchroom and sit down with a production worker and say, hey, how's the quality today? They'll tell you, Mr. Yeah. Schwartz, we have problems with our you'll, equipment. You'll learn pretty damn quick. You'll learn very quick. Yeah. Um, what, so what would be your biggest or your best piece of advice for emerging leaders coming out of coming out of school now? Well, number one, is first just figure out who you are that's your that's your tuner but then find a place to go to work where your purpose and figure out your your purpose it may take you some time as it did me figure out why are you why are you spending all this time leaving i'll tell you it's not easy a lot of pressures you're going to get criticism and but uh you know you 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 figure out your purpose and then find an organization which is aligned with it. See, it took me a long time through 10 years at Lytton and t 10 years at Honeyball before I finally found the place where I was really aligned with the purpose because I was deluded by running a big organization and getting caught up in that. So I think that's the most important thing. If you can find that alignment between what you want to do with your life and, uh, and the purpose of the organization. I think the absolute worst thing I've heard, Scott, in recent years is this thing they're talking about this last few months, quiet quitting. This is the worst thing you can do. Just give the absolute minimum to your job. Why would you do that? Life is short. You know, we can, we should enjoy life. It's not fun. Then quit and go, go somewhere where you'll find joy and fulfillment. If that's the most important. And lead with your heart. I think I've been telling students at Harvard Business School that since 2004. And they, well, they, they were laughing at first, but it's not, it's very serious. You have to leave your heart, not just with your head. You can remember nothing else. It's not about the smartest person in the room. It's about leading with your heart, with passion, compassion, empathy, and courage. And if you can remember that, you can become a great leader. I love it. Um, okay, I want to I want to get some socials and some links from you, and then I have one last question I ask every guest. So before we close this out, um, where should people connect with you? So all the socials, website, where can people get the book? Um, Anything and, and also any closing thoughts that you want to you want to drop before we close out? Well, I have BillGeorge.org is my website. I got lots and lots of materials there, articles I've written, uh, shows like this one uh, accumulated there. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Try to respond to the comments I get uh, on Twitter uh, to a lesser extent on Facebook. So those three sites as well. It's, it's not hard to find me. Cool. Uh, but I would encourage people. I'd love to get into a dialogue with everyone listening to this show. Now, so that's, that's what's, uh, that's how you connect. So Perfect. final thoughts, uh, final thought to everyone is be who you are and lead with your heart as well as your head. 
to become a great leader and really use your life to make a difference in the world. And if you can do that, you'll have a very fulfilling life. I love that. Um, last question that I ask everyone, uh, you've had an incredible career. Uh, what does success mean to you? Making a difference in the lives of other people. I decided the only through line to my purpose going all the way back to college years when I was mentoring a lot of people and coaching a lot of people about their leadership right to the very present, which is what I do uh, today, whether they're students I'm teaching in the classroom or whether people I know in other walks of life. And my whole goal is to enable people to reach their full potential. When they do that, I get excited. When I see a Mary Barra doing so well, that excites me. It's not about what I do. It's about what others are doing. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. 
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 